0: Failure is uh, a part of the entrepreneur's life. There's no way around that. Uh, another maybe Chinese saying is, a master has failed more times than an apprentice has even tried, right? And, and, and that's a fact, right? Imagine if you're, if you're learning, if you're studying something or learning, let, let's say playing an instrument or writing or development or design, uh, imagine the master showing you how to do that. Imagine how many years, if not decades, they've spent doing stuff and how many mistakes they've made over the years, right? They've thrown thousands of hours down the, the drain because, I mean, it's part of the exercise. Repetition and experimentation is kind of what leads us to, to becoming better human beings. So. Uh, Again, lots of different times. You know, I could have gone out of business multiple times, and you know, losing our biggest clients, serving you know eighty-five percent of our revenue, or you know, a recession, or like losing half the people because of you know lockdowns and stuff. I mean, lots of lots of different examples, uh, honestly. But but it is part of life. It's you really you wake up the next morning and you know it's going to be another. Day at work, and you know there are going to be ups and downs. You know, people leaving or sick leaves or so, clients maybe leaving or so. It is, it's about resilience.
1: Welcome back to the In factor podcast. I'm Rebecca White, and today I'm joined by Mario Peshev, a serial tech entrepreneur who is having a global impact from his home country of Bulgaria. Currently at the helm of both Rush App and Deverex, he's proving how strategic time management can shape the entrepreneurial landscape. But Mario isn't just building businesses, he's giving back by educating and coaching entrepreneurs. Through growth shuttle advisory and opportunities for aspiring tech wizards, he's shaping the future of tech one mind at a time. We're excited to talk with him about what's next in tech and how a savvy entrepreneur makes the most of their time, energy, and talent. So let's dive right in and hear from Mario. Mario, thank you for joining me today on The Infactor.
0: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, so I'm really excited. You've definitely got the entrepreneurship bug because um, as we were talking before this recording you're running multiple companies got a lot of things going on have a lot of experiences serial entrepreneur um, and i think announced today that you're the that you've been appointed the ceo of rush.app so we're hearing it first here on the infactor
0: yeah great timing that's definitely the first time anyone's hearing it so um, super excited i'm really thrilled about that
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we love to be the first to know. So, (laughs) so Mario, we were talking just a little bit beforehand. Uh, This is a, this is a relatively new gig for you, but Mm -hmm. you're a tech guy. You've been in the tech space for a while. And uh, you, I think you told me you're from Bulgaria originally. So I would love to know, uh, tell our audience uh, maybe a little bit about what um, Rush does, which we'll, we'll get back to that a little bit more and then kind of how you got here.
0: Sure, absolutely. So Rush is an order tracking and notification app for Shopify, uh, one of the largest uh, platforms for e-commerce out there. Uh, The way it works, it's uh, pretty much a plug and play, set it up, you get an order tracking page, um, and uh, you're solving one of the biggest problems that customer service reps are uh, reporting. And instead of solving you know, actual problems with technicalities or uh, any complex caverns. Uh the number one reported problem for uh, CX reps is actually uh, responding to, hey, what happens with my order? Uh, what's the ETA for delivery? Is there any uh, trouble with customs or anything like that? Uh, so that's kind of what Rush is doing. And as an added twist, uh, what we also do is we use the order tracking page to uh, place a carousel for potential upsells, uh, which uh, delivers anywhere from 4 to 7% additional revenue for uh, e-commerce stores using uh, our app. So super stoked. We have, uh, I think, 2,700 uh, stores using us right now. And, you know, hopefully we're going to double up until the end of the year. So fingers crossed. Yeah,
1: that sounds really cool. And, you know, as I'm listening to you talk, you're talking about logistics mm. and supply chain is, is you know, there uh, the customer service reps have a lot of issues that they face. Uh, but this is a really interesting one. Ha- have the last few years with uh, all of the, um, you know, the change in the way that we buy, uh, a lot of it. Uh, Mm pandemic-induced, I guess, Um, but also just, uh, you know, improvements, well, advances in technology. Um, Has that changed and made that sort of a top problem, or has that been a problem for a long time for Shopify uh, users?
0: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. So, first off, Shopify doesn't doesn't offer a native solution for that, and there are just a handful of options, and of course, one of them is Rush. Uh, So, on the one hand, one of the platforms, uh, one of the I would say two top e-commerce platforms out there, Shopify with uh, over 4.5 million stores based on it, isn't solving the number one problem for retailers, which is, well, well number one CX problem for retailers, which is responding to what happens with my order. Uh, according to different stats, uh, 91% of customers are Uh, checking the status of their order and looking for a tracking page or email notifications. And uh, over 30% of them are doing that on a daily basis. So considering how common of a problem that is, Uh, That definitely adds up. And on the other hand, there's definitely the pandemic and uh, what we've been been observing over the past three years, that with lockdowns in place and people stuck at home for the most part or moving to different locations, just relocating thanks to remote work, we see more and more and more consumption and um, uh, buying different sort of items and goods online. uh, And and kind of the market has expanded almost four times over the past uh, three years which, of course, increases the number of stores, number of products, number of orders. And that problem isn't getting any easier without uh, the right solution in place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we're, like you said, we're all buying. And, um, you know, having been in this entrepreneurship space a long time, I mm-hmm. remember some of the companies that tried 15 years or more ago to um, to create something like an Instacart, for example, and it didn't work. You know, people yeah. just weren't ready but mm-hmm. now we're ready to let other people do our grocery shopping. And, you know, one of the areas that I'm interested in personally is um, is indie, uh, in, independent book author. Mm-hmm. And um, as somebody who's recently written a couple of books that were published by a publisher, I'm really intrigued by this idea of, of selling my own books online. And Shopify is is sort of the number one uh, opportunity. Uh, like you said, it's, it's probably the top. Uh, technology that's accessible and no code, easy to use uh, for, for lay a lay tech person like myself. So I see a big opportunity there for you. That's really exciting. Um, so uh, let's back up a little bit' you, you're, um, you mentioned that you're from Vol- Bulgaria originally how right. did you original how did you get into the tech space and how did you become an entrepreneur and what are some of the other things that you've done along the way before you got to rush? Uh,
0: that's a wonderful question and a great segue to something I want to comment uh, with regards to books so I'm going to start here first um, I, I built my first static website back in 1999. Uh, so I've always been hooked to computers and technology, and I was, you know, lucky enough to have access to a computer at home, um, you know, over 25 years ago. So this definitely led to me spending an unhealthy amount of time uh, poking <laughs> with technology and trying to make to solve problems that weren't really easy to solve back in the day. Uh, so at a very early age, I started uh, looking for you know computer science books or any tutorials and resources that were. Uh, virtually unavailable out there right um right sure. now we have everything at the tip of our fingers right we can first of all buy uh, books off of amazon we have kindles we have tons and tons of resources and tutorials and e-courses and youtube and so many things and uh 20 something years ago we didn't and you remember that time right it was just a different reality uh so we were kind of gathering with other other folks and going to uh, internet cafes and downloading txt files off to floppy disks in order to read and consume at <laughs> yes, home. Just yes. it, it, it was just crazy. So uh, you know, uh, fast forward, you know, a couple of decades. Uh, I went through computer science education, uh, started working in uh, corporations, enterprise, and launched my first uh, ventures. One of them was a theme startup, and then an agency that's uh, still running with about fifty people. Uh, headquartered here in Bulgaria, profiling in WordPress. And over time, we've been serving tons of different uh, customers, both e-commerce and publishers and B2B businesses, including some Fortune 500s and some banks. Uh, And um, yeah, especially over the past few years, we've just been profiling more and more into uh, generating more sales online, either through direct e-commerce or digital commerce or affiliate Uh, newsletters as well and ads for publishers and uh, kind of one of the verticals we've been spending a lot of time was uh, e-commerce, which is why you know, rush is uh, such an interesting proposition for us. And uh, one thing that you mentioned that I really find interesting is you mentioned you are a, booth author, a book author, uh, so am I, by the way. Uh, and uh, what we do is we try to conceptualize and combine a lot of different things together, including, you know, managing websites for authors, you know, for coaching, consulting, and different types of services, LMS and, and uh, all of that. Uh, also, you know, doing the e-commerce with Shopify. And also we have lots of strategic Amazon partnerships, is it SEO for Amazon or uh, launching books or promoting them better, turn them into top sellers and so forth? That's not necessarily internally. That's through our broader strategic network of partnerships. Uh, so we believe that all of these play very well together. And that ecosystem is really broad, taps into different types of services. And kind of the broader of a strong network you can build, the easier it is to work with uh, broader suite and portfolio of customers uh, to solve so many different problems all related to digital purchases.
1: Yeah, wow, wow. So, you know, what I, what I love about your conversation is that you're a problem solver. Oh, so yeah. you, you are a technology person. But from day one, you thought about technology as a tool that you could use to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And that is um, you know, a fundamental perspective of an entrepreneurial mindset. In fact, I think it's the, a foundation. It has to be a foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, One of the reasons that I, uh, I, I guess I credit a lot of my entrepreneurial mindset to my mother because she was like that. And uh, she was also someone who said, um, you know, you have to stick your neck out to to get anywhere. I, I have a dress on today that has turtles on it. And it always reminds me of my mom, because she would say that the turtles teach us that you have to stick your neck out to get anywhere. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's problem solving and willingness to find solutions and reduce risk or try to reduce risk so you can take on innovation. So I'm curious about your, uh, you know, your, your, are, have, you pr- have you worked all, all of your life in Bulgaria and um, if so, or either either way, I'm just curious about the mindset there among families and the environment for being an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, uh, first and foremost, uh, I would like to use the opportunity to also thank my mom for also being a great example for me in my early entrepreneurial days. Uh, she's been running an accounting firm for like 30 years, and I mean, just just knowing that, you know, Private companies are, and entrepreneurships are a thing, definitely gives you the chance to not necessarily work for the man, but also consider both opportunities that compare. So, kudos to all the, the great moms and dads and, and big brothers and sisters out there who have inspired all of us uh, yes, to,
1: yes. to do
0: what we do. Uh, in terms of uh, you know my career and what I've done, for the most part, I would say that I haven't permanently relocated outside of Bulgaria. I've spent years uh, teaching courses and, you know, just uh, spending a few months as a contractor here and there in the States, Western Europe, including the Arab world. Uh, so I've traveled enough to see different cultures and different uh, mentalities on how to do different things. And luckily, my, uh, my network is pretty broad, spanning from uh, anywhere across the States and Canada through most of Europe, uh, Israel, parts of Africa, a good chunk of Asia, and also Australia. Uh, giving me the ability to compare and also keep track on uh, kind of the different mentalities and what's uh, working and what isn't. Uh, Bulgaria in particular, it is an interesting place, I would say. So uh, first off, because it is a small country with about 7 million people, not super popular. Uh, it's actually the, the inventor of the computer, Jonathan Nasov, uh, comes from Bulgarian descent. So technically speaking, you know what we are all using is coming from Bulgarian origin. So uh, we have strong history there. It's just uh, we're really sick at marketing, right? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't we haven't made the opportunity to, to make it a big thing. Uh, additionally, from a tax standpoint, Bulgaria has a ten percent flat uh, corporate fee, which is really great for setting up businesses and moving headquarters. And it's even a, a nomad destination for some. Uh, albeit not as popular as, say, Thailand or Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a great place, I would say, you know, good place, but definitely helps looking into different options, uh, browsing opportunities, and try to um, steal the best practices or opportunities out of um, everywhere you can visit or uh, all the nationalities, cultures uh, that you can kind of tap into and connect and study.
1: Yeah. Well, I I just love this conversation. Over the years, I've taught a lot of students that come from outside of the U.S. And uh, in fact, the the program that I work with now that uh, we have a master's in entrepreneurship and the majority of the students, uh, I would say, uh, or at least 50 percent are from around the world. Mm -hmm. And we get students from at at my university from, I think, 135 countries or something. So it's very diverse. But um, what I find is that there are some cultures. I have students that say, you know, my parents would only... Consider it, uh, you know, education for me, if I was going to be an engineer, Mm -hmm. a lawyer, a doctor, um, you know, uh, there there were certain professions that were accepted, Mm -hmm. um, but others that weren't. And um, entrepreneurship was in in some cultures, it's not accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in the United States, it's kind of been the foundation of what we've been built on. Uh, but I've also done a lot of travel and gone to a lot of other countries, and I find that there's a real hunger and and a real entrepreneurial spirit, um, yes. you know, among the, the the people that I've worked with. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of exciting pockets of entrepreneurship that the world doesn't know about. And so I'm really fascinated by your story. And, um, and I know what you mean about, you know, we don't... Uh, uh, countries and communities don't often market themselves well or tell their story, yeah. so it's. I'm really excited that we could talk today and kind of share that a little bit more. Um, so let's talk just a little bit more. So, so you've um, you've been in this uh, tech space for a long time. I'm really curious about you've, um, you. You uh, would you consider yourself more of a front end or back end developer or both? Um, and and sort of where do you see the opportunities if someone is listening to this and they have some skills? Um, you know, there's so much going on right now. AI is just mm-hmm. totally, uh, you know, it's blowing my game. mind. I got to <laughs> tell you, I, I'm having fun playing with it. Um, and it's just fascinating to me. Uh, we've got so much going on with blockchain and mm-hmm. NFTs and crypto. And and I want to ask you, I have to ask you about crypto and in a few minutes, but uh, if, if you're up for that. But uh, I'm just curious, where do you see opportunities? Uh, I love what you're doing, which is really kind of taking a business problem and finding a technology solution. And I think that's always gonna be uh, you know a great uh, approach, but wh- what kind of opportunities do you see for young entrepreneurs? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: totally. Uh, it's, it's funny. So first off, in terms of my own background, it is in uh, backend software engineering. I used to build uh, Java applications. Uh, I spent many thousands of hours teaching technical courses, actually. Uh, some of my resources have been taught at uh, MIT, VMware, SAP, uh, and lots of other places across the world. Uh, so I've spent my fair share of time actually teaching young software engineers and not just young, but uh, anyone uh, trying to move to software engineering. Uh, so extremely passionate about that. I see a lot of uh, potential in that. And even with you know the pandemic, even with AI, with everything going on, uh, there's still enough demand for software engineers uh, over the next maybe 20, 30, 40 years. Um, so in terms of opportunities, there's um, it's an uncharted territory. So many different options, regardless of whether you're back end, front end, DevOps, data engineer, uh, you know, data scientist, pretty much everything that's tied to making systems work better, scalable systems, analyzing data, uh, fintech, which is again extremely popular right now. Since you mentioned crypto as well, uh, all of that needs so much human uh, labor, and not just labor, but creativity, but the ability to collaborate and and uh, kind of figure out really complicated problems together and solve that at scale and solve that for so many different organizations. Now, uh, you know, the past year has been, pretty turbulent for different markets, including the crypto space, but not just, you know, S&P has been down, Nasdaq was down immensely with like almost 60% at some point, at least on the companies on the uh, listing on the index. And uh, but, but this is temporary, right? Nobody can kill Microsoft or Meta or Apple or Amazon. In the coming, I don't know, two decades or, or more, it's 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 virtually impossible. Whenever you have a user base of over a billion people using you, uh, being signed up, subscribers, regular consumers, fully aware of the brand, following updates, it's how do you stop a business like that? Right? It's impossible. And all these companies will keep. Needing resources, even if they pivot into something else, like the metaverse, or like a different version of Web three, or the new version of NFTs that we're going to use for currencies, or whatever else is coming next.
1: Yeah, yeah, lots of opportunity. Then uh, that you know, one of the things that I'm, um, I'm I've noticed uh, over the last year, year and a half, two years is this. Uh, this increasing trend for the workforce to be uh, more, especially in the tech space, work on a more freelance approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, companies are now trying to figure out how to manage a freelance workforce. Freelancers are trying to figure out how to, how to, how to be that, you know, because you don't have the support of the company around you. And I know the uh, you mentioned that you were a book author, and I know that uh, at least a part of that was talking about what it's like to be a solo entrepreneur. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, I'm just curious about your thoughts on this whole uh, movement, if you will, towards freelance workspace. Um, do you think it's important for that workforce to have an entrepreneurial mindset? I um, mean, Are we talking about sort of Turning more and more people into entrepreneurs with this kind of movement.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a loaded question, and I have so much to to say about it. I think we can turn it into a series, probably a separate <laughs> a separate <laughs> sequence, a mini podcast. But uh, to to your point, and and talking about local regions and whatnot, uh, I I I, um, I organized the largest freelance conference back in Bulgaria in. Um, 2008 or 2009, which is wow. a long you
1: know,
0: time we, ago. Yeah. It, it was a long time ago. It's about yeah. 15 years ago. And that was right near the end of the, the great financial recession. Yes. Yes. And um, it kind of sparked similar opportunities, right? Lots of layoffs, lots of people being unemployed, but possessing specific qualities and skills that turned them into great freelancers. So I try to tap into that, especially in the era of very limited, remote, full-time opportunities. Uh, And and that kind of gave birth to uh, so many other leaders and meetup organizers and and other folks um, kind of raising their and nurturing their own communities. So I'm definitely fond of that model, and I know that the state is uh, predominantly you know, ran by other solopreneurs or freelancers. It's uh, north of thirty something percent, I believe, freelancers, mm-hmm. and 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 that's fascinating. Uh, so what I really think is the missing piece is something that you referred to me a bit earlier is getting a problem and kind of applying a technical solution to that specific problem. I think that what's missing for most freelancers out there, especially the ones that are not necessarily super successful, are just Trying to provide a service, especially a commodity service. Hey, I'm doing. You know, I'm a writer. I'm a photographer. I'm a marketer. I'm. A, so what? What's the what's the specific problem you're solving? What's your unique selling proposition? What's the target market? What's the unique uh, angle that you have compared to the other many hundreds of thousands of people doing the same thing? Right. Um, so. I'm definitely in favor of doing freelance either as a side gig or trying to do that full-time. Both are equally acceptable uh, from where I stand. But it's really hard to just be yet another writer, yet another designer, yet another developer. Uh, Niche specialization and focus and, and trying to elevate yourself by... Solving a specific problem for a specific audience and specific market that carries so much value, and I'm going to give an example right now with uh, with Rush, right? So uh, as as I'm stepping in, you know, we are expanding a, a large suite of different opportunities to brand ourselves better and, and reach different audiences. One of the angles is uh, influencer marketing, right? So there are dozens of agencies that i was speaking with. Yeah, we have influencers and we can do influencer marketing. Well, so ca- how can you help me? Well. You know, we can send your product to our influencer. Well, I don't care. I have an app here. Well, you know, and I I found someone who said, I'm doing influencer marketing for Shopify apps, right? I've done that myself. I've ran and exited two different apps. I have a network of people specializing in that. So essentially he's doing the same thing with more or less the same people having a network of these people solving that specific unique problem, right? It's just packaging the right service to the right people to solve a specific problem carries so much value and will elevate everyone who's trying to you know, penetrate a specific market or just present a specific service of themselves.
1: Oh I, first of all, I love that you brought this up because it's such an interesting um, challenge, I think, for creatives, people who mm-hmm. are creating things uh, for or people that have certain you know specific skill. Uh, I had a. I, I did a, I was doing a coaching session with a, a young, a woman who has her doctorate in nut- nutrition and she has a practice, but she mm. wants to scale what she's doing beyond seeing clients, patients, uh, you know, in her, because there's a really a limit to how many she can see. And she's, she's a solo, uh, Practitioner, mm. and as we sat and talked, she said, "Well, I see this problem, and I can do this, and I see this this problem. I can." And and we went through uh, at least five different really serious nutritional problems. I mean, we've got mm. huge problems with obesity. We've got eating disorders. You know, a lot of psychological food related issues, and then we've got people that are getting older that you know uh, aging. So mm. there were so many different. Uh, approaches she could take, but she was struggling with narrowing that down, you know, because we talked about the fact that to set herself apart from all the other nutritionists out there, and there are a ton of them that are doing this, as you said. Um, and, And so do you have any I mean, is how, how do you actually figure out <laughs> where to put your focus? Because I, I hear you and I agree. And, you know, sh- she and I talked through a lot of the different, um, opportunities available for her. Um, and, you know, and we talked about some ways that she could do that, but I'm just really curious. It's, it's a very challenging, uh, mm-hmm. uh issue, I think for a lot of solo entrepreneurs,
0: Well, and it's not a natural, right? Uh, Niching down means you're limiting all of your opportunities. Essentially, you're saying no to virtually everyone, but that specific audience that you're trying to serve. So that fear is only rational, but it doesn't mean that we need to keep it, hold us back. Very few individuals or companies have the, the clout to successfully offer whatever uh, and we normally call them celebrities, right? I mean, wh- whenever uh, I know Ronaldo or uh, I know a famous Hollywood actor does something, whatever they sell, whatever they pitch, it just it, it just sells, right? But but they have the Oscars, and you know, they I mean, their track record, one out of a hundred thousand people probably has that quote. For us, mere mortals, we need to really be helpful and we we need to provide a specific designated track that solves a specific specific problem for a specific individual in a specific phase, right? So in order to, to identify what works, um, people can really learn a lot from the startup world and what's called the product market fit, right? Whenever you try to build a value proposition, you need to identify uh, how does the product fit the specific market. right? What's the product? Who are you serving? Is it the right way to sell that? Is it the right way to package that? Uh, what about pricing? And are the channels that you're using the right channels that um, you can employ in order to reach that audience? These are essentially This is kind of the framework that you can use to identify that. So uh, if you want to break it down and segment it even better, think about, uh, again, location. Is it something that you can do regionally? For example, you may know French because you live near Canada, right? Can you serve the French market? Can you serve an African country that also speaks French, right? We shouldn't limit ourselves. Uh, we shouldn't uh, limit ourselves solely to, let's say, Canada. Or maybe we can uh, focus on the, the, the part of Switzerland that speaks French, right? Look for these local opportunities that gives you an edge, right? So that's kind of one thing, local. Then there's industry. Then there's a business size. Then there's a specific you know, product core skill. that niche down your specific solution. Say copywriting, right? I'm a writer. What do you do? Do you write books or articles? Landing pages, sales emails. What is it? There's so many different things. Maybe you craft email courses. Maybe you do um, um, white papers, right? So many different ways to segment. So people can just go and try to find the the so-called blue ocean, right? Whenever you offer a broad solution, you're competing with everybody. Try to be... The bigger fish in a smaller pond, once you become successful, you can start to expand a little bit. You can add a new solution here and there. Um, there are a couple of books. Uh, one of them is 22 Immutable Walls of uh, Branding, and the other one is Twenty Immutable Laws of Marketing, I believe, uh, that, that are really speaking to that. Like, do you need to create a new category? Can you tap into existing one? Do you need to be an extension of something? Do you need to kind of launch something uh, yourself? But niching down really... Having a brand means that people have to associate with something. And it's really hard to just be, hey, she's a writer, right? It, it 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 isn't cutting in. It has to be she is the best writer of email newsletters for seven figure DTC brands out there in retail or fashion, right? This speaks so much. And it's a great way to position yourself, raise your prices, and really specialize and deliver great value to to that specific segment of businesses.
1: Yeah, that's such great advice, that product market fit. And it's uh, sometimes a surprise to us, I think, because uh, when someone launches into this space as a freelancer or a side gig or even starting a company, uh, we really don't have a clue, right? Mm -hmm. We have to learn along the way. And I think it's, you know, and it's constant, it's constant learning and constant problem solving and listening to the market, right? Because they'll tell mm-hmm. us, the market will tell us what to do if we actually talk to the market and, and get feedback, which is, you know, again, with my students, sometimes that that's a really hard one to get them to get out of the classroom and Actually, talk to people, and I think it's true for most entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we make a lot of assumptions along the way, but we don't mm-hmm. always test them. I always tell my students it's like an, ex- uh, you know, it's just like they learned in in um, you know science class to how to do an experiment. Uh, you got to put your assumptions out there and test them and see what works and what doesn't. I'm really intrigued uh, because you're talk, you know, you're an educator as well and i'm an educator lifelong educator and i know that education as we know it is being uh hugely disrupted um you know the, the the college uh when i was growing up it was you know the one message i got from my parents was college And advanced degrees were were my way to to advance um and that's not necessarily the case now i'm talking to brilliant people that are not choosing that path but they become educators and uh when talking with that nutrition uh the nutritionist that was also a role she was going to have as an educator and so i know you have something called the growth shuttle Is that right? Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that in case somebody, because a lot of our audience is practicing or aspiring entrepreneurs, and I'm just really curious about what you do with the Growth Shuttle.
0: Yeah, indeed. So uh, probably the easiest way to sum it up is, uh, aside from Rush, which is the Shopify app, I have Devrix, which is my WordPress agency, and Growth Shuttle, which is my business consultancy. Uh, So I offer advisory services to lots of different businesses. Uh, Our portfolio is... uh, You know, over 400 different companies we've helped out over the past six years, uh, and I'm really passionate about that, right? But uh, due to my limited time, I spend a lot of my personal time uh, building and crafting content on my own blog and, um, you know, developing different resources. For example, uh, there's an email course with uh, over 1,300 students called the 8-Week Business Accelerator, uh, going through different... Parts of the funnel, right? You know, launching a business, creating a company, starting that business. What's marketing? How you scale that? All these kind of different puzzles and things you're kind of focusing on. Uh, we've recently launched two other different email courses. One on delegation. It's called Delegation Domination. You know, uh, and and one other on actually becoming a business advisor. So adopting most of my. Uh, best practices and principles and and what I do when I start working with a business. For example, hey, uh, let's start with the uh, value prop, the elevator pitch. Let's uh, take a look at your buyer personas, idea of customers. Let's do this, let's do that. Right. So I have most of that written out for free on my blog. So everyone who's kind of interested can go to, I'm not sure if it's cool but uh go to mariopecho.com yeah, and just sure. just browse the free resources or are sign up for the free email courses as well uh but but yeah I I am an educator and uh, honestly I you know it's it's my version of making the world a better place right I'm not honestly I'm probably not going to spend five hours being in a charity kitchen because I can't cook and my hands are messy <laughs> I'm, I'm going to spill everything off. it's it's not going to be super efficient you know I'd rather try to make people's life better you know people I uh, employ and their family's lives better. People I teach, people I speak at conferences, people that you know sign up and subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, just just give them an opportunity to apply some critical thinking and and you know get a better life for themselves. And um, it, since since you also referred to my book, which is the 126 steps to becoming an entrepreneur, the byline is uh, the the dark path of going solo. Right. So so all that clout, all that magnificent, hey, running a business, being an entrepreneur, so hot, you know, billion dollar company, yada, yada, yada. That's that's not really it. Right. <laughs> My book actually says that sucks. It's so much work, you can't rest. I mean, you get midnight emails and like systems go down or whatever. It's it's you need to understand both sides of the story in order to make a, a decision. And one last example on that, I was speaking this Friday. Uh, evening. There was a startup weekend for the the, the high school I went to. It's a, very, it's a semi-high school, semi-college. But they had a startup weekend, right? So kids aged 16 to 18, literally young kids, but building actual world-like projects, like the great hackathons that uh, we know of. And most of their questions were things like, hey, does it even make sense launching a business if it doesn't become a unicorn, right? So just hearing that I know it's not ill-intentioned right they're 16 years old but it's just so painful to even think of your id is worthless unless you're listed on s p 500 yeah. or something yeah. right and 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 that keeps me up at night that's why i spend my time you know people need to stop reading Mashable Tech crunch all day long they actually need to figure out that you know li- uh, lifestyle businesses are okay Full-time freelance is okay. Entrepreneurship is okay. Running a um, brick and mortar with your family is okay. All of that is okay, right? A 10-person business, 20-person business is great. 50-person business is incredible. You don't have to be the next, again, enterprise, multinational corporation in order for that to count. You need to be passionate. If you have an idea, if you have an opportunity, go explore it. If you can scale, go scale, but don't chase the numbers.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's so much in there I'd love to (laughs) unpack and talk about. I don't, we probably, again, that's, we may have to have two or three more uh, podcasts because I I just am so intrigued by everything that you've said. You know, I run into that as well with students that, um, you know, that and and try to clarify. Uh, there are a lot of paths to success, and you know one of the one of the things that I heard recently, and I, I had heard some a version of it before, but it was uh, it was uh, I listened to this book author who uh, podcast, and you know an indie book author, and she was talking mm-hmm. about having different goals with your writing career, and for some people it's fortune, and for mm-hmm. some people it's fame, and for others it's freedom. And a lot of times, you know, we compare ourselves to other people who may have a very different goal and therein lies a lot of dissatisfaction. Uh, Mm. Because, you know, if your goal is freedom, then, uh, you know, it might be freedom to be able to do what you want and enjoy your craft and and understand that you may not get extremely wealthy and you probably won't be like one of the top 10 art, uh, writers in the world. Right. So, uh, but if you have the other goals, it, there are consequent, um, there, there are uh, sacrifices, well, investments, let me call them investments instead of sacrifices right. that we make. Uh, and the investments are often bigger uh, or less depending on what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, I really love that. I, I also love that you talked about giving back through your through that particular avenue. And I think uh, one of the things that I heard you say real in there that I think is valuable is highest and best use of your time. I think mm-hmm. we all have to decide how we can contribute with our highest and best use of our time. Time and and that probably goes back to your lessons on delegation, right? Because if yes. you're not good at something, you know that may not be the best use of your time to try to train yourself to become that. Um, focus on your strengths instead, right?
0: And uh, oh, that's that's wonderful. And uh, I, I think so many people, I mean, and and that's more or less a controversial topic. But uh, people who work, wh- one of the reasons I love entrepreneurship is I even even my full-time employees i always i try to invite them to try entrepreneurship in one shape or form you know launch a product launch a course do freelance do anything like that and and the reason for that is i believe it's extremely valuable to understand that time is money in the sense of you know you don't have to slack for 8 hours because you're going to get the same You know, paycheck at the end of the day or the end of the week, it actually counts whether you do whether you put the time and whether you do the work. So that mentality shift is all that matters in my head. That's really the key for me, the difference between entrepreneurship and and doing a nine to five. Right. Um, I think. I really think this is the worst part of nine to five, just not being tied to commissions, to results, to KPIs or anything like that. So it's not about being competitive. It's about understanding that if you do something, you get paid. If you don't, you don't. If you overachieve, you get a bonus. Right. But really tied to what you do. Uh, so that's why I advise everyone to do any form of entrepreneurship, even if it's like you know garage sales over the weekend or you know, teaching a class on Friday night, anything, right? Trying to start a course, trying to start a YouTube channel, anything. Just figure out that dear time, involvement, effort, creativity goes a long way if they apply it into the, the, the right and best possible manner. Um, and, and with that in mind, you know, when it comes to delegation or spending the right time, um, I'm, I'm really trying to cut down everything that uh, I find non-essential, right? Either try to automate it or kill it. Or outsource it. Yes, it is a fact. I do have assistance, and that definitely helps, right? But but also, you know, let's say cleaning staff at home, right? I've I've had a cleaning lady for the past maybe eight years, maybe more, right? I know a lot of people are saying, hey, that's a necessary expense. You know, it's lux- luxurious or something like that. Well, no, I'm not spending eight hours a week myself doing mundane tasks that I don't enjoy. I'd rather get an extra couple hours of sleep over the week. Uh, you know, get fresh energy and mentality and spend six extra hours working and making up for that for several weeks ahead of time. Right. And again, I'm saying it is a controversial topic. Not everyone's at that place, but it's more about thinking about that. Right. What can I do with that spare time? What can I do if I don't, you know, get at home at 6 p.m. and watch, you know, binge Netflix or go out with friends and drink beers every single night? What can I do with that specific time? Uh, And again, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Lots of people just want to, you know, lay back life, you know, chill, you know, not a stressful job. Spending, you know, all their holiday days or bank holidays, whatever it is, and it is fine. But as you said, it's it's not compromises or so. It's investments, right? If you want to have a specific life, you have to invest in that life. If you don't, well, it is a choice after all. At least for 99% of the people.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's an okay choice to, have, you know, and I think, I think getting honest about that. I I love that. I love that you, you talked about that because it really is about, you know, what is your goal? What are you trying to achieve and what does it take to get there? And how do you get the most out of each hour of your day? And, and where else can you use other people? Um, Because, you know, if if you can make um, three times what, some, what you, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to think about one of the things that helped me a lot when I became a mother was to think about the fact that, you know, if I took on, Uh, you know, a consulting job, let's say, or a trip that, you know, that required me to travel, I needed to be honest about, you know, that was time taken away from my family. So Mm -hmm. I needed to make sure I was compensated well. And that's what really helped me to start increasing the the price tag, if you will, my own time as well, Mm -hmm. because I knew that I was investing it uh, and taking away from other things. So I think getting honest about that is kind of hard. But if you don't, you find yourself very quickly, I think, burned out um, and and maybe not where you wanted to go. Um, You know, it's it's you have to check those milestones along the way and make sure you're on the right path.
0: And, and there was a quote, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it, but something from the Lai Lama, which is, you know, happiness is living a simple life or something along those lines. Right. So uh, whatever you pick, uh, you need to be happy with it. And in order to be happy, it needs to be a simple decision. Right. If it's, I want to have all the time in the world, well, probably move to a cheaper country where, you know, it costs 50 bucks a month to live or so, and then have all the time in the world. Right. Just just make it living. or. Move back with your parents if possible and just, you know, get a frugal life, but be happy and chill and sleep and be a philosopher. So if you want to grind, understand that this is the lifestyle, right? It comes with compromises. You're not going to be able to do a lot of things that other people are doing. But, you know, you have, as you said, maybe fame, maybe money, maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, really, the the culprit here is... The worst thing you can do is just spend time on Instagram, right? Yeah. <laughs> just just looking at the the happy version of what other people are living. This is the worst possible piece of advice. And that's that's what I tell all the kids, especially that I'm uh, teaching. Just get off of TikTok and Instagram. That's horrible. You know, a lot of unhappy people post a lot of crazy stories just so that they look fun and exciting and engaging, and you really don't want to know what's happening at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. There,
1: Yep. People don't, yeah, we we compare ourselves to uh, unrealistic versions, I think, of the lives people lead and uh, there's lots of, oh man, there's, a, again, that's another, that's a whole nother podcast we could talk about. You know, I've read about the fact that a lot of travelers don't enjoy their trips because they spend so much time trying to get the right picture and getting it on, on Instagram or, or one of the other uh, social media apps. But I, I do have to ask you, uh, because we're talking social media, about brand building, uh, because um, if you want to be a freelancer or if you want to start your own business, um, and especially if, we, if you're going to build it around the skill, as we've been talking about, h- how do you build your brand? Uh, you know, social media can be dangerous, but it also is probably part of that equation. Do you have, you know, a few thoughts on that?
0: probably not just a few, but I would say that personal branding definitely helps, especially if you work for yourself, right? It's really hard to differentiate if people don't know what you think, what's your, uh, what does your value system look like and all that. So it definitely helps if you build a brand with yourself. Now, um, over the course of time, you know, different systems and networks come and go. Some are more popular, some are on some social networks, feature specific, um, you know, Mediums of communication. I'm going to give LinkedIn as an example, right? Back in uh, 2017, uh, videos were getting 10x the exposure. Then it was normal posts, then it was their serious slash newsletters, then it was the documents. Now it's traditional posts again, right? So there's a lot shifting and nurturing in, in the type of communication and, and uh, type of effort. Additionally, I've always been fond of uh, SEO, just search engine optimization. Organic ranking was the best but with chat gpt a lot of our organic traffic has gone down because people are no longer looking for specific long-form articles they're looking for bullet points right uh this may or may not change but you know something we've invested in for a decade now has a different you know result set right uh so in terms of branding i would definitely say uh, rule number one is branding is important, and you need to build yourself a brand of some sort. Rule number two is don't invest in assets that you don't own or you cannot reuse. Right? One of the problems is people build a million followers on TikTok and then they get banned, uh, or, or something like that. horrible. Try move them to an own channel such as email or text, or at least diversify them across three different networks, but you really need to own that audience. And the other thing is building content because you need to build content in order to build a brand and don't uh, let that content disappear over the course of minutes. That's why I love SEO. That's why I love book writing as you do, because you, you can use these resources for the next probably 20 years, right? They may be slightly outdated, but they're still valid. But if you post tweets, every now and then that they don't rank, you can not find them, you can search them, they're not tied to your name, they're disorganized, then you're wasting your time on building something that uh, isn't lasting. So even if I build content across different networks, first off, I try to repurpose very well. So I'm trying to build more or less the same piece of content across multiple networks, right? If I have a video, I'm probably going to go to rev.com and grab captions and write a blog post or grab the headlines and turn it into bullet points for Twitter or LinkedIn or so. Or maybe just create a canva image and then post it on instagram right it's really easy to use one hour of content and spend another couple hours to build 20 pieces of content right and definitely store it in a way that's easily searchable or easily uh referenceable and especially as a manager this is my number one piece of advice uh, happens almost every single day. I have to refer to a specific piece of content of mine, a tutorial, a video, a lecture, a podcast, anything that I've uh, spoke about, spoken about something and say, here are three hours of my thinking, so it's really easy for you to go over that instead of spending three hours me recycling that over.
1: Yeah, oh, I love that. There's so many great pieces of advice in there, but I'm going to summarize a lot of it in own your brand, right? Don't let yes. somebody else don't leave it up to somebody else own your brand and build content and and kind of and and own that repurpose is also great you know that's uh, it goes back to our earlier conversation you don't have to recreate the wheel every time and I've I've made that mistake too many times and it, mm-hmm. it that means you've got to s- somehow have a good organizational s- system of all the things you've created so that you know that's that's part of my problem sometimes I'm a creator and I love creating. <laughs> Uh, but sometimes I forget what I've created and, and forget that I can repurpose it. So that's that's fantastic advice, I think.
0: Well, in, in all fairness, I do that as well. So sometimes, <laughs> wait, what I wrote that four years ago? That's awesome.
1: <laughs> so I could uh, th- Mario, this has been fantastic. But I have to ask you just a couple of other questions. You know, part of uh, we're I know we're running a little short on time, but the the um, you know, in the entrepreneurial mindset, I, I talk about executing past failure because I've never seen a success story without failure. Um, it's part of the process. It's, it's how we learn and how we get better and how we move towards success. But I'm just curious, you know, were there any times that, you know, failure sort of uh, got close to overwhelming you or and, and sort of how did you deal with that and, and get this courage and the strength to move on?
0: Yeah, uh, totally. Failure is uh, a part of the entrepreneur's life. There's no way around that. Um, another maybe Chinese saying is, "A master has failed more times than an apprentice has even tried." Right? And and, and that's a fact. Right? Imagine if you if you're learning if you're studying something or learning, like, let's say playing an instrument or writing or development or design. Uh, imagine the master showing you how to do that. Imagine how many years, if not decades, they've spent doing stuff and how many mistakes they've made over the years, right? They've thrown thousands of hours down the, the drain because, I mean, it's part of the exercise. Repetition and experimentation is kind of what leads us to, to becoming better human beings. So. Uh, Again, lots of different times. You know, I could have gone out of business multiple times, and you know, losing our biggest clients, serving you know eighty-five percent of our revenue, or you know, a recession, or like losing half the people because of you know lockdowns and stuff. I mean, lots of lots of different examples, uh, honestly. But but it is part of life. It's you really you wake up the next morning and you know it's going to be another. Stay at work, and you know, there are going to be ups and downs, you know, people leaving or sick leave or so, clients maybe leaving or so. It is it's about resilience. Uh, there's a, a famous stat, even though it's not super accurate, but 80% of startups fail over the first five years. Uh, you know, could be anywhere between 60 and 90 for all that matters, but but for the most part it's a fact. But think about it: once you cross the five years. It gets so much harder to be neglected and to disappear. Once you cross 10 years, it gets almost impossible to go out of business. And now, in all fairness, past few months, we have Bad Bat and Beyond and others filing for bankruptcy, right? right? Some of the largest businesses on the planet we all know and have known for 20 plus years. So it's not impossible, but it's virtually impossible. It's really improbable if you don't take huge risks, if you don't max out all of your credit cards and take all the loans in the world, then then you're just in business. So that level of resilience just surviving for a continuous period of time means that the weaker players uh, are are just going to drop out and you're still going to stand there and someone still needs to get that job done. So again, failure is there. Uh, It's part of the journey. Uh, throw throw your ego through the door and and just live with it. It's a normal part of the process. It's a learning cycle. That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think just knowing that is helpful when mm-hmm. you get to that point because it is. And each time you fail and then move past it, you build that resilience muscle that you brought yes. up. So. It's, uh, yeah, it's something I talk about in my book, which is See, Do, Repeat, the Practice of Entrepreneurship. And it's about mm-hmm. seeing opportunities, taking action, and executing past failure. So Amazing. it's uh, a lot of what we've talked about today. Mario, this has been so enjoyable for me. I have learned a lot. You are a wealth of information. I might have to call you up sometime to come and be a, a speaker in my class if you ever do things like that. Um, oh, but it, it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's been wonderful. I always ask my guests if they had one piece of advice, and you have given so much today, but if, if, you, if, you, could, if you had one thing that you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you wish you'd known, I don't know, uh, what, would, what would it be?
0: Um, so uh, recurring revenue is key. Uh, for aspiring entrepreneurs that are chasing the one thing, always think about recurring revenue. If you achieve recurring revenue, one way, shape or form, regardless if it's subscription or returning customers, anything like that, uh, it's how you build a sustainable business. And never neglect, even if it's uh, you know $2 a month or $5 a month, don't neglect that. That's easy to add up and just grow. Uh, the only reason I'm saying that is lots of people are just focusing, chasing the one huge, big, fat deal opportunity. And if you... Take a look at most businesses, successful businesses out there. They have subscriptions and they have ongoing plans. Many of them paying a small fee a month. So don't don't drop that opportunity. It really is bigger than what you'd anticipate. And I honestly wish I knew that uh, a long time ago.
1: Yeah, that that is great advice. Uh, I think I've heard uh, I've heard it also said out of cash is out of out of business. So you got to have money coming in regularly, right? And uh, that that reoccurring revenue is, is great advice. So Mario, this has been great. Uh, before we go, how can our guests find out more about you? Uh, check out Rush maybe. Uh, I think there's going to be some people that want to check out Growth Shuttle because I know there's a lot of great advice in there. So where can we find you and connect yeah. with
0: you? Well, uh, first of all, thanks again for the invite. It was great, and uh, you know, still have an invite for that uh, micro series of a podcast that we were discussing earlier. So it's going to be a great show. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter, so uh, look up Mario Peshev out there. Just spending more time communicating with other folks, uh, and my website mariopeshev.com lists all the other resources, both courses and free content, and links to rush.app and leverage and growth and all the other resources but yeah look me up and feel free to connect send an invite linkedin or twitter and more than happy to answer any follow-up questions or help out accordingly
1: thank you so much again
0: thank you it was a great pleasure to be here
1: if you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship we would love it if you hit that subscribe button thank you so much for listening to this episode of Infactor. factor